This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. for may 13th 2022 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice if you'd like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal, Mike Spears, joined alongside, as always, my co-host, Case Slow. And Case, did you smell it in the air right now? The, the, this wafting sensation that just started on Wednesday? It, it, it might just be regionalized through me. I'm just checking to see if up on the uh, the shores of Lake Michigan, you might be smelling something too, Case. Uh, if by that you're referring to the scorching heat that now infiltrates my air conditionless apartment, then yes, I believe we are smelling the same thing. It really hit me like a ton of bricks this week, just how warm it is outside now. I'm currently doing this podcast away from any and all fans that I have in my apartment, which means that as soon as you press record, I started sweating and I will be in that state for the next 90 minutes. Well, I was referring to the sweet smell of uh, of Lech Barrison presents 2022 King of Gate deciding dragon gates number one championship case that's, as it's that's, and that's, that's on me because you asked me a question i was like surely mike's talking about my personal life not the wrestling that we're here to talk about let me infuse a little bit of lore into the air <laughs> no no you were you we were talking business because it's it's officially the busy season it's officially dragon gate that matters and boy oh boy do we have a lot to talk about today well, n- now I feel bad that I haven't shown personal interest. How are you, Case? <laughs> I'm fine. I was burying Mike uh, in his personal personal life right before we got out of the air. So I'm good. I'm loose. I'm ready to go. It's, it is a- about 90 degrees where I'm sitting right now. So things things are good. Hopefully, to match it, the heat, I have some hot takes to fire off as well. It, it's doing up there. So l- l- let's get going. Uh, this week, we only have one show we are covering. This is the... Official opening day to Lech Barrison presents 2022 King of Gate deciding Dragon Gate's number one championship Cork and Hall show on the 13th. Did about 900, getting back up there. Just off the top case, uh, how do you, this is the first uh, live opening opening day of King of Gate we've had since 2019. Uh, how, how did you feel about it overall? Like, does it rank at all towards like 2016's opening day? Remind me what was 2016's opening day, because when I think of great King of Gate kickoffs, I think of 2014. Well, 2016 had Susumu versus Aita. 
And oh God, that's right. Well, was I, was that the June? I believe May was Tozawa versus Ata. Is that correct? Are we going to argue I about thought... cards from 2016? Hey, why don't why don't why not? Why argue when we can just look it up? Am I right? Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I was almost dead certain that 2016 was started off with Susumu and him, but it, it could be wrong. It could be wrong. It would not be the first time I've been wrong within the first five minutes of a show. May 11th, 2016, 20 minute time limit draw. Akira Tozawa versus Ata. You can put it on the board. There we go. There we go. So comparing it to that match, we we had four of the 16 opening round matches here on this a lot of interesting stuff in my opinion uh what were your big takeaways that's the fun part of this show is i i had two matches that i thought were legitimately great one a king of gate match one a a non-tournament match and my review just went up at voices of wrestling.com as we started recording this so i don't know if mike has seen it yet uh so that might catch him off guard when we get to it but this was a really interesting show it was one of those shows that felt uh, and I, I described one singular match as this, but I can really describe the entire card as aggressively Dragon Gate. And if that makes you wince or if that turns you off in any way, then this is probably not going to be the show for you. Because I think everybody who follows the company to some degree came in with realistic expectations for what was supposed to happen on this show, meaning that certain guys were supposed to win and certain guys were supposed to lose. And those matches were supposed to take a certain amount of time. And instead, Drangate flipped everything on its head. They once again completely changed my expectation for what this tournament is going to be. While also, I don't I don't have any doubts going forward that I'm going to be entertained. And there is no other company, not New Japan, certainly not NOAA, not AEW, not whatever US Indies out there. There's no wrestling company on earth that can constantly alter my expectations and leave me feeling confident about the future. And that is exactly what this show did from match one through the main event. Yeah, this is something that, I mean, we've been talking about King of Gate since it got announced and the uh, bracket as soon as it did. And I, I would say I had a big uh, misconceived notion about this entire year that was proven wrong very quickly in Tokyo on Wednesday. But yeah, like they, they do these swerves and, that they, they, they will do a lot of things happening at once. And this was a show where, you know, they, they, they found this comfortable place over the last few months of Cork and really being the show that maybe you'll get one standout match. Everything will be watchable to very good. And the storylines and all the stuff that's happening is really the glue that holds it together. Like that, like this could have been a Cork and without any tournament matches. And I still would have walked away feeling as immensely satisfied as i do after watching let me ask you real quick about the attendance reported 906 in the building for this one what do you make of that any takes you have with the 906 in attendance at cork and hall well i mean it, it's something that they spike such a huge number for Kness's uh retirement i mean it's the largest attendance in a cork since 2020 for that one show and then you take the step back and you look at, okay, the, the show that happened a couple of weeks after that attendance was not great. And this one, you know, the, the, they're inching back towards a thousand. I think, I, I, I think you are satisfied, but it's something that I think everyone for a lot of reasons is holding their breath until everything, until the summer, I would say. Cause I think a lot of things, both COVID or not are going to really affect the industry 
pretty strongly, both in positive and negative ways coming up soon. So I, I, I think you just have to be, uh, you have to be content and then look at the empty seats and be like, all right, that this is where we have to build towards for the uh, June cork. And then the Torimon one, which if the Torimon one does not match or come close to matching the Knesset attendance, I mean, then you have a real problem, I think. Yes, I, if the Torimon reunion showed us anything less than a sellout, I would be absolutely shocked by that. I thought it was interesting that All Japan's Champion Carnival Finals, which, by the way, could you tell me who was in the 2022 Champion Carnival Finals match? I'm guessing Jake Lee because he's one of the only people they have in that promotion. So Jake Lee was in the match. I would like to not only know who his opponent was, I would like to know whether Jake Lee won or lost. And I'm telling you right now before I pulled this up, I would not have known this. I'm guessing Jake Lee lost because that seems like how they like booking over there. And Well, let, let me stop you right there. Jake Lee did in fact lose. Okay, there we go. So All Japan Pro Wrestling... 2022 two years into COVID-19 who won the champion carnival this year oh Suwama (laughs) Uh, an answer that I probably would have said myself it was not Suwama I'll give you one more guess just because I'm so curious to see who you think is on the all Japan roster what's that big Japan kid that's been over there all the time Nomura it was not Nomura. It was Yuma Aoyagi who defeated Jake Lee in 3024. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. They, hey. they, right? It's not Miyahara. It's not Jason Lee or uh, uh, Jake Lee. It's not Suwama. I'll take that. That's a win. Yeah, that's different. I, you know, I mean, we'll see how it works out long term for them. I don't think anything <laughs> will change, but, you know, okay, it's like that. Good, good for y'all for at least like doing something yes yeah. so so that that champion carnival final that did 986 uh the good prior yeah yeah exactly the prior champion carnival shows on that tour i think they did i think they did three in cork and if not they definitely did two they did two uh those did half of that they were in the 400s and 500s i am really curious to see that first week in june when they do the king of gate finals and they do the Toriyaman reunion show for that Cam Gate final, that's a really good head-to-head comparison, in my opinion. Uh, not that it means anything in the long term, but short term, I think that's interesting to look at. I would expect Dragon Gate to go back into four digits for the King of Gate finals. And if they're not he- reaching the Kness number or more, because they could still put people in the building for that Kness retirement show for the Toriyaman reunion show, that would be concerning to me. Yeah, it, it it's something where... Other than environmentally, I feel like you have to take stock. Like, I, I, I refuse to be – and I get where people come from about throwing out attendance numbers. But, like, companies like All Japan and Dragon Gate don't have the, the – the, they don't have the grace to throw away these numbers. Like, that's fine. So the fact that Dragon Gate's potentially looking at 2,500 across two days in Corkin next month, that's big. That's 2,500 tickets in a time where a lot of places and it's not just uh dragon gate having issues it's not just noah no we beat up on noah a lot of things when you look at this i'm just taking a step back and looking not incredibly impressive what we're seeing right now attendance what no not at all i mean you know noah's been in cork and hall quite a bit lately and their most recent most recent cork and shows on may 4th and 5th 
one did 645 and one did 487 and that's coming off of their big uh was that sumo hall show yeah the the big sumo hall show so yeah there's there's no momentum obviously with the English speaking fan base with Noah right now, but in Japan, it has also really slowed down as well. So we're in a weird point where all of a sudden I'm going, Oh, all Japan's attendance is interesting. Let's look at that compared to Dragon Gates. Whereas for the past two years, that has been Noah in that spot rather than all Japan. And I don't think, I mean, all Japan will go back down to 400 and 500. They just popped a good number for that champion carnival, which I I thought was nice. I mean, good for them. Yeah. You know who popped a higher number? Than, uh, the, the, than their previous uh, Cork and Hall shows. You, you know what company did? Pop uh, it's it, it's got to be the most powerful wrestling organization on earth, Stardom. Well, actually, Kyushu Pro did 706 <laughs> in Kasuga City this week. That is fantastic to hear. My main man, Mentai Kid, was on the show, man. Uh, I, 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 this has to be, and I know we are completely away from topic right now, this has to be like the most bizarre like soul show ever mentai kid and kodai nozaki defeat genkai and koda umeda a three-way naoki sakurajima uh asosan and baten blaba and then uwf rules hitamaru sasaki defeats soma watanabe you know i'm really behind on gleet right now and i don't even say that facetiously uh there's there's people i trust that are putting over gleet to me quite a bit recently uh that is a promotion that I'd like to catch up on, but I am of the belief that outside of the Stronghearts Coalition, that Soma Watanabe would be the guy that I would build that promotion around, and they are beating him like a drum this year, which is disappointing because there's there's that argument to be made that, oh, you know, you've got to beat him so he can build himself back up. I don't think Gleet has that privilege. I think if you have a young, talented, good-looking guy like that, he should just win all of the time. Yeah, and that's the, the kind of person that you build up your support with with your native fans, knowing strong hearts, you know? Yeah. Like, like you, they're going to need him to be a draw after they leave. So. And they are not, not, putting in a, not putting him in a position to do that right now, and he even loses on this Kyushu Pro show. So bad times for Soma Watanabe. Bad vibes, but not this cork and was not bad vibes. Uh, should we talk King Gate first, or do you just want to go through the show? Let's go through the show from opening match to main event. I think this show had a nice pace. I think we have uh, probably something to say on every match. Yeah, so two and a half hours, the show. Very, very easy watch. will be up on the network until the 18th, both in English and Japanese commentary. We had a match zero as it was the first live Futures match out of the class of 2022. It was Masaharu Eto versus... Kaito Nagano, as f- for those who are, might be their first show, uh, Dragon Gate Future is their rookie system. This is the most recent students at the uh, dojo in Kobe. They go and they have future matches where one of them wears black tights, one of them wears green tights. They do a five-minute exhibition, and that's it. And we, we it's been a few months since we've had one. It's been almost like half a year. Uh, what were your thoughts, your initial thoughts on the class of 2022, Eto Nagano? Yeah, when's the last time we would have had these? In November, right before Gate of Origin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so these kids have been wrestling on the road. I I am still, and this is the tough thing with the future, because they are still the most basic of rookies. They don't get nameplates. They don't get spots on the website. They're they're basically unnamed anonymous trainees. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, luckily Jay and Ho-Ho know their names and are able to say that for English commentary, or else we'd be scrambling to figure out who these guys are. Uh, These guys have been wrestling on the road. I think there's four or five of them 
since February. And they were in Champion Gate in Osaka. They wrestled on those shows. They've wrestled in TV markets before. I think the last Fukuoka shot, there were future matches on those shows as well. But they have not made the Dragon Gate Network yet in any sort of live or taped capacity that I'm aware of. Do you, I, I, you just said the same thing, that it's been a while since we've seen them. So if that happened, we missed it just due to not watching these shows live. But I don't believe they have. And they're, you know, it's a future match. It's kind of shooty, amateur wrestling style mixed with traditional Japanese young boy wrestling. And, you know, for five minutes, it's it's very entertaining. Yeah, so uh, thanks to Jay and Hoho for this. Nagano, who was wearing black, he's 19, he's from Fukuoka. He was a longtime Dragon Gate fan. Eto is from 20 from Tokyo with a volleyball and karate background. Eto was the one that I was initially impressed with, which makes sense given what happens later on in the show. I thought he used his size and strength well. Nagano has the fundamentals, but he needs the time in these matches, I think, just to tighten things up. But I thought it goes good. Uh, first experiences for both of them. Yeah, the fact that they have, again, had these guys wrestle in front of crowds but not decided to air them, specifically that weekend in Osaka, I know they were there, I know they wrestled, and then that footage never turned up. They're rookies, again, they're doing the most basic bare bones style of matches. It doesn't make me cautious about their future, but this was very much just from what I knew about these kids, the very little bit that I knew going in. This was a show-me match to some degree, and, and for what they were able to do given the confines of a future exhibition, I thought this was perfectly fun. Yeah, like it, it's something that Fujiwara didn't feel like the supernova he did during the Futures matches. So it's just nice to see, all right, these kids aren't going to hurt anyone, I guess. And they're learning, and that, that's cool to see. Uh, the official opener on the show was the first match in King of Gate 2022. It was Madoka Kakuda defeating SB Kento with a hand of God Lariat. And now we have two matches back case with Kakuda. I, I, I feel like we, we got a little bit better read on him here than we did at Dead or Alive, personally. Yeah, I watched right before we started recording. I watched the match of him and Fujiwara against D Courage, which was on a house show right before this Cork and Hall show, but after Dead or Alive. And he looked he looked a little bit better there than he did in Aichi for the big pay-per-view. But this was the Madoka Kakuta that I needed to see. I left Dead or Alive a little concerned and certainly disappointed. And I talked about this last week where I just felt like for a guy that that the last time we saw him really before, you know, his return and his exhibition match that he did with Kamei and Kyoto uh, right before Dead or Alive, you know, the last time we saw him, he was in the the youngest Open the Dreamgate Championship match of all time, and he was in this giant spot. And it, through no fault of his own, it did not work out. But we left seeing him as a main eventer, and even if it felt surprising, even if it almost felt random, by the time we got to May 5th last year, he was somebody that felt like he belonged in that position, and I thought this year, his return match, he just did not look like a star. He did not look like someone who next week or six months or a year from now was going to be back in that Dreamgate scene, but then suddenly he stepped into the ring with SB Kento, and boy, does this guy have a knack for making people look good. This was not only the Kakuta that I wanted to see, this very explosive, very fiery, very exciting youngster. This was SB Kento working a style of match that we don't get to see a lot from him, which I love because you think about you know, what he did with Dragon Kid and what he did with UT and even the Kaisuke Akuda matches and what we just saw uh, with him and Dragon Diet, Dead or Alive. 
he works a lot of 15 to 20 minute singles matches that have this very deliberate stomp, 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 build heat sort of pacing. This was a seven minute sprint and SB Kento, who I've always said, you know, I think he's the future. I think he is the next Yamato. I say that because of his character work and not his in-ring work. It's really nice to see him in this sort of match where, you know, of course the great character work was still there, but this was largely carried by him being a great wrestler. So I think I was a little bit more down. I, I thought that Kakuda did look more of the star than he did at Aichi. Like, I, I felt like that the match there for Dead or Alive was catharsis for him. Like, I mean, the look on his face was just pure elation. Like, when he was, like, tagging out, being like, I'm back, I'm doing it. Matoka's back, baby. But this one, I, I, I felt like it was hurt a little bit by the by the fact that they crammed a sprint into seven minutes. I, w- I would have liked to see, personally, a little bit more. But the, the match that they wrestled, like, Kakuda looks more of the star. SB Kento, you know, each time he's accomplishing the checklist. There was an insane hip to- uh, like hip attack on the apron that sent uh, SB Kento flying that cracked me up. So, you know, it, it was nice to see from Kakuta. But I walked away from this match a little bit underwhelmed, not by the performances, but by kind of the playground that they were allowed to play in. So you would have had this match go longer if you had the pencil oh absolutely i felt like that this went seven right six and a half seven yeah seven yeah i would have made this 10 given it uh, i would have get 10 to 11 maybe even 12 with, with the time. with the idea that you would want kakucha to sell a little bit more i i i mean the reaction the crowd did when when kakuda got his heat back when he what well, in the final stretch was enough that i was like they could have milked it a little bit longer like for that final strike. I, I liked how abrupt it was. And, you know, this is something that I'm just now thinking about as we sit and talk about this match, but it's something that Alan Forrell said to you on the Dead or Alive preview show, something that for whatever reason, even though I knew it just hit me hard hearing it out loud was that we were only a year into Kukucha's career when he got hurt. We have not seen him work a ton from underneath the only times he would have done that was those initial class of 2020 versus veterans matches which this goes back to the generational war this was the class of 2020 against the Toriyaman generation and Kakuta was excellent in those matches again working as kind of a fiery underdog but he turned heel and then you know we saw him work on top we saw him be pretty dominant this is one of the only times in his career that he's been an established name who has had to work from underneath. And I think the sprintiness of that, him eating offense, eating those slaps from SBK, and then coming back, hand of God, Lariat, boom, finish, here we go. I thought that was really effective for him because, you know, we kind of know in the same way that SB Kento is a guy that's going to live and die by his character. I think Kakucha is a guy that's going to live and, and die by his in-ring work. And this, I thought, set him up to win. Again, let him take some offense, let him hit some big moves, flashy finish, left an impact in my mind. Now he's on to the next round. That, to me, set him up uh, to win, of course, literally the match, but a win in my mind as well for his overall presentation. No, that's fair, because you're right. He's going to live or die by how effective the hand of God looks or whatever finishing maneuvers he has. Like, I mean, it, it, we saw that and play later on in the night, like having like that. So I, I think you're on like this and I was two and three quarters. Like that's not a bad wow. match. Just, no, not a bad match, but that's, that's, that's pretty low. I, I mean, for me too, is a working average. So, I mean, it was, it, it, it's, it's something on this show that the undercard stuff was greatly lapped by the under, by the uh, main cards thing. So I would say, and, Perfect. 
Okay, that's I I went three and a half on this. I really enjoyed it. Okay, you you go. Oh, we do have some deviation there, so that's fair. Uh, match two, we had Takashi Yoshida, Strong Machine J, Yosuke Samaria, and Mondai Ryu, Problem Dragon versus the high end team of Dragon Kid, uh, Benkei and Keisuke Akuda and Kakatora. It was the Dojima sleeper after being smooched by Maria as Akuda is back on the winning side. Most notably in this match, or after this match, High End has officially offered Strong Machine J membership into High End. Uh, Strong Machine J is incredibly flattered to receive the, the, the invitation. He said, hey, how about we wait until this tournament is over? So I want to talk about Kaisuke Yakuda because between the opening portion of this match, and this will be such a bizarre sentence, but the opening portion of this match in which he wrestled Problem Dragon and the closing stretch with Yosuke Santa Maria, I thought Kaisuke Akuda looked great in this match, and I was I was critical of him last week. We are on about an 11-month stretch of being really critical about Kaisuke Akuda. This gave me hope because I thought he had a great King of Gate last year, specifically that match with Yamato and Fukuoka that I just loved so much, and this will be one of those rare podcasts where I praise Yamato in a little bit, but I thought this was a very good Akuda outing, and assuming he gets by Problem Dragon in uh, Taijimi, uh, which will probably have happened by the time you're listening to this, he will have either Ashita or Susumu Mochizuki in the second round. So King of Gate is setting up to be a fruitful endeavor for Akuda if he can deliver on the expectations that he gave us in 2020. Yeah, it, it, it's something that you also look at that bracket case and... If you were to to set up like, okay, Okuda's not going to win this thing, but he's not going to be someone who's going to get scrubbed out in the round of 32. He's going to get a win, and he's going to have a couple matches. You know, I mean, it, Ishida as a second-round matchup is what he desperately needs, I feel like, just because it's someone who wrestles the style he insists on wrestling. But, like, hey, I... I I know it's going to be a uh, Problem Dragon's hometown, but him versus Problem Dragon and what's going to probably be like an eight-minute match in Gifu. Who knows, man? I, 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 I know you're willing to buy back or thinking about buying back into Keisuke Akuda stock, man, but get me... Th I, I want to see what this guy's doing this fall at this point. Like, I, he, he's in such a rut that I don't think this tournament is going to completely change my opinion of him. Well, you said something interesting there. And that your phrasing was that he needs that Kaito Ishida match or he needs an opponent like Kaito Ishida. I would argue the opposite. I think Ishida is a comfort blanket. I think we know what we're going to get from an Ishida-Okuda combination or even a Susumu-Mochizuki-Okuda combination. What he needs is to be able to have a really fun match with a guy like Problem Dragon in his hometown. He needs to be able to go up and down the roster and have fun match, have be able to have that drink touring style of match, be able to grapple, be able to be a base for guys, and he just doesn't have that, and that's been his constant critique, and it's uh, the concerns that were expressed to us very early about Rio Fuda as well was, okay, so he seems to idolize Kaisuke Akuda to some degree. Akuda does one thing well, and this is a company where you kind of need to be a five-tool player. Let's hope Fuda doesn't fall into that trap. And Akuda still has not really figured out a second gear. He's either doing the Ashita or Mochizuki or Susumu Mochizuki really hard-hitting style of match, 
or he's falling into the background. And that that's right there. You know, the difference between a Kaito Ishida and a Kaisuke Akuda or a uh, Kaisuke Akuda and a Masaki Mochizuki is that, yes, those guys hit hard. They have that great eyeball, uh, eyebrow raising style of stiff match, but they can do the Dragon Gate things. And through three years, there's been a lot of Akuda that I liked. I loved him in Mochizuki Dojo. We raved and raved and raved about him versus Ishida. But he has shown that he can do Akuda things and not necessarily Dragon Gate things. So yes, in a sense, he needs that Ashita match because it will be a great match if it happens. But I need to see what, you know, a Kaisuke Akuda versus BB Hulk match looks like. I need to see Kaisuke Akuda versus Strong Machine J in a singles match. And I need to know if that can be entertaining or not. And that will be when I decide to buy back Akuda stock. But no, right now I'm not anywhere close but I did think he looked good in this match. I mean, if we're going to be doing this trial series for him, we have to limit him to three kicks and three strikes. Like, and, he, and he, come, he, up, come up with a comedy spot that works. That would be a big help for him. Yeah, because, like, like I, I guess the thing is, the person, and I, I'm taking my personal bias out of this case, because as soon as I mention this person, you're going to roll your eyes. But, like, the prototype for how you want okuda turn out to be is don fuji no like, that's that's totally i love that comparison yeah because don fuji has the edge that we see a lot and then we he also has the levity and the levity doesn't have him lose the edge instead it's kind of like oh yeah don fuji the kleptomaniac and it's like seen as like a a character affectation that everyone loves okuda needs some bizarre like deviancy I, I gotta say, like, this guy needs to, get, to, like, round up some gambling debts or something. He needs to do something different than what he's doing now, but I thought this was a good start. Like I said, when, when you can have a match where I'm saying, hey, I really like the way you looked against Problem Dragon and Yosuke, okay, you're you're on the right path, but I need that for six months, and I need it to be on bigger stages as well. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you, you, you know, on that. You know what it is? Can Akuda do something interesting against Minorita? Because I think that is yeah. that is an interesting test because say what you will, but Nozawa certainly seems to understand the Dragon Gate logic and what's entertaining when it comes to interacting with Minorita. And I don't think I could say the same thing about Kaisuke Akuda. Yeah, no, like that that's actually the test. We gotta see him in a gold class mask. We we gotta see because Yamato is great at, at dealing with Minorita, but now we gotta see if Kaisuke could do it. Th- that's the thing. It's not like we haven't had gold class versus high end. We've had too many of them, actually. I'm I'm really sick of all of those combinations right now. But when it comes down to okay, who's gonna chase the little guy? It's been Yamato. I'm sure Dragon Kid's been in the mix at some point. Kagator's probably chased him around the ring a time or two on house shows, but you know, Akuda has been noticeably absent from that spot. And it's not like uh, this is Kurt Angle wearing a cowboy hat and singing when he should be a vicious killer. In the context of Dragon Gate, this would probably do Akuda some favors being able to have the audience laugh at him a little bit. No, I, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, match three, we had the vets, Kenichiro Arai, Masaki Mochizuki, and Yazushi Kanda, the Torimon Originals versus Zebrats, BB Hulk, Diamante, and Hio. It was Mochizuki reversing the Neko Damashi, doing it himself on Hio, winning the match. Like match two, more interesting stuff's happening in the post match as Hio snapped. He lost. He started attacking um, Mochizuki. He went for a chair, but who who defended a, Masa- a Masaki Mochizuki? Who would be a brave enough young man to stand up? Why? It was future member Mitsuharu Eto, who apparently 
by showing this bravery, struck a chord in the uh, 26-year veteran and invited Masaharu Eto to join M2K at the Torimon reunion as Kness has left an open spot and it will be filled by the rookie. So there's a lot to unpack here. I am just going to just read Jay's tweet verbatim after this was announced on the official Dragon Gate English Twitter page in which he quote tweeted it and said, eyeball emoji times 77. And that really sums up my thoughts here. This is, to me, a shocking turn of events to have Ato filling in in an M2K capacity on the Toriyaman reunion show. Yeah, and it's something that they could just do it cutesy like Minorita and just have him with a Darkness Dragon mask and have it be like, oh, Darkness Dragon Jr. with it. And that would be fine. And that would show, still show the level of confidence that like, hey, Eto, we believe in you enough that you're going to pull off this bit already in your first match. So that's huge. And it's something that, I mean, we got to take a step back a little bit, Case. Think about 2020 when we were completely shocked when Kento Kabune turned and won the Triangle Gate in the same night. So... This is like the, the, the day you're just accelerating it now. We're, we're going to get to a point now where like in 2025, someone's going to debut in a Brave Gate match. Like it's going to happen. I assumed just given the way that everything was going, that the headlining match for the Toriman reunion show is going to be Eita Nozawa and Kotaro against Mochizuki mochizuki and kanda i thought that would sort of be the plan there and do a triangle gate match get the belts on m2k have you know kanda take the fall you know zero defenses from them and then we'll move on and paris will go their own way i sent you a comparison and unfortunately i sent it to you before you had watched the show so you (laughs) must have thought i was talking absolute gibberish when i was factoring and booking plans for this masaharu eto uh, when you did not even know who that was when I sent you this message. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a spoiler case because I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is really, to reference one of our favorite pieces of cinema that we've ever seen, this is like Robert Trujillo joining Metallica. This is a guy, you know, an unknown, no disrespect to whatever band Trujillo was in before Metallica. He was a Black Sabbath case like oh my god no but he was not in the black sabbath he was a you know was he in suicidal tendencies what's his background yeah i think he was in suicidal tendencies too but like the last time that black sabbath really toured was with rob trillio in suicidal tendencies is one of those bands that i like i don't believe that anybody's ever listened to them i just got into this conversation (laughs) with somebody at work this week because the riot fest lineups were announced and they were shitting on the misfits headlining because they're like oh nobody actually listens to the misfits i was like no i do like I really, they were a really important band for me when I was getting into punk, and I still, every once in a while, really, really get into the Misfits, but Suicidal Tendencies, I just, I can't imagine anybody actually listening to that band. I think they just, they sell the hat with the goofy logo on the underbrim. The t-shirt, too. Yeah, but nobody listens to, can you name a Suicidal Tendencies song? Because I can't. No, I can name the t-shirt and the hat. Yeah, exactly, but... You know, this is, you know, joining Metallica is a bit of a different ballgame with all due respect to suicidal tendencies. And and with Trujillo, if he would have stood out in any way, if he would have not been up to the world class caliber of that band, and it pains me to give Metallica such a compliment, but let's be realistic. You know, people would have snuffed him out immediately and he wouldn't have stuck around. 20 years later, he's still in the band. Good for him. If Ato is 
off in any sort of way in that M2K match. And the way that he was presented on this show, I don't believe they're going to play it for comedy. Now, he might not exactly be a world beater. He might not be a super rookie, but I believe they're going to give him some respect in that match, just given the way this angle played out. And if he is off his game to any degree, it is going to stick out in such a massive way. And even if it's not an embarrassment, it is going to be a disappointment. This is such a huge, huge spot for him. I don't even think I can do it justice because it's hard for me at times to wrap my head around the impact uh, that M2K had in real time. But Mike, can you speak to just what a big deal this is? So M2K is something that we always kind of talk about like in hush reverence, but if you look at Toriumon 99-2000 before M2K really formed and what it was after, like this was like the first evolution to modern Dragon System was M2K. Because Crazy Max was running around 97, 98, 99. They did a bunch of Michinoku Pro. Like they were known entities, but the way that M2K came in and the role that they came in, like Crazy Max were heels. And but they were super popular heels. Like the best way to liken them would be uh 2014 Matt Blanky. But M2K were always heels. They were always the rudest of the rude. So and it, it was something that took Misaki Mochizuki, who was best known at that time as being the kid in the karate key that Shinjiro Utani beat the crap out of at uh, Super J Cup '95. It took him from like him being just a just a random karate scrub guy into being one of the five best wrestlers of all time. Like it is when you talk about units and dragon system, you start with crazy max, but right afterwards you say M2K. Yeah. They're on a separate plane than, you know, blood generation junction three world one, whatever, whatever you want to Jimmy's uh, that, that is, you know what? That's a very interesting question, Mike. Let's really get into the nitty gritty here. Thank God we're here to have this conversation because nobody else will. Would you put the Jimmies on the same tier as Crazy Max and M2K? No. No. Uh, I can't put anything on that because Crazy Max and M2K created Torimon, created the Dragon System, created Dragon Gate. Uh, Jimmies was a very beloved long-term unit, and it was one of the ones that, you know, that, that they've been very protective of. But it's not M2K and Crazy Max. That's God. That's such an interesting question to me. I don't. I don't think I would put the Jimmies on that level. I just don't. So think so. Okay. So if tier one is Crazy Max and M two K, and then you have to start a tier two with that. Okay. Jimmy's Jimmy's do fixer. Yeah. World one. Am I giving? Yep. You know, I think you have to give world one credit. Th- th- I, this is this is what I came to the conclusion of last year because we started kicking around this topic because uh, we did some Q&A show or something where we listed like our 10 units of all time, our top 10 units of all time. And I don't right. think I had world one in my initial draft. And then I had I finished with world one at number three or four. Like I it I think really, I had world one much higher than you did. Yes, exactly. And that and it was as we were doing the show, I was like, wait, no world one was the best like this this was peak hulk this was peak speed muscle this was Pac at an amazing time in his career tanazaki was there like this unit was amazing so i think you have to put them there so if crazy max and m2k are in that that first tier you're looking at some sort of listing of do fixer of jimmy's of world one i i think mad blanky is up there 
that's so that's the interesting question is is let's find one more heal unit that goes in that tier because you could say mad blanky and i wouldn't argue you could Italian say connection you could say blood generation so i would i, I would put edicon a tier below i think if and, and if we're gonna stick with a heal unit here you have mad blanky you have blood generation and when we did that show my number one unit of all time was berserk just right. because of how strong their first year is i'm not sure i'm still married to that take honestly if you ask me today i would change my answer but you have some version of blood generation mad blanky and berserk my gut at this time would put blood generation ahead of those two units and i would bump edicon uh berserk and uh mad blanky down to tier three yeah that's fair i'm right now looking at my list so jimmy's was my t- was my favorite unit but i don't think it's the most important one I think Jimmy's because it had the longevity and all this stuff and was able to like balance in. I mean, they won all the belts. And it really, like, when you start talking about units, like, you, you do have to talk about Crazy Max and M2K first, but then you get into ones like Jimmy's and World 1 that I think, you know, World 1 just kind of, in a way, embodied an era of the promotion, and Jimmy's kind of did as well. And I feel like that that helps them out a lot more when we start having this conversation. Very much so. Yeah, World 1 in particular is a generation-defining unit. You think of 2008, 2009, 2010, you think of World 1, and then 2011, you think of Junction 3 and Blood Warriors, and I don't think the logic gap between how strongly those eras are associated with those units is that far apart. Obviously, 2011, those are the only two you have to choose from, but you look at the landscape in 2008, 2009, and 2010, and... There's plenty of units, you know, one of your favorites in Tozawa Juku, but World 1 is just so strong that they are immediately what I think of once they are formed. Well, would you entertain the argument that, yeah, there were Superface units beforehand, Typhoon and others, but this was the first real Superface unit? So let's think, let's, let's use 2009 as, okay. the, as the specific year that we're talking about here. Do you think the combination of Doi, Yoshino, and Hulk at that stage in their career, are they popular uh, enough the to be considered super faces? Because I don't... I don't think they are. My gut, my gut says no, because let's look at Typhoon, God forbid, and you're looking at some, some combination of Shima and Dragon Kid and Susumu and Saito, and that that core in 2007 2008 from simply a star power perspective seems much stronger than the world one core in 2009 yeah i guess i i guess like when we look back at this now 13 15 years of hindsight typhoon just feels like a blip in a way even though typhoon was formed it's like oh yeah we got like the big stars from do fixer from blood generation from from pause arts we got everyone's here everyone's here and and the moment it's like oh yeah everyone's here but 15 years later i'm like oh yeah no that was a unit that existed for like a year and a half whereas world one i feel like as time went by i mean you have four open the dream gate champions on in that unit three future ones well really all four of them were future dream gate champions when they joined the unit there and i think each year that goes by world one's case for this would be a lot stronger but i think you're right in the moment it you definitely have to give the nod to typhoon there it's very easy to look back 13 years after the fact and go, oh, a unit with 
Doi, Yoshino, Hulk, and Pac. Oh my god, that's incredible. And, and I was not watching World 1 in real time, but we do have data and evidence that shows that, yeah, you know, they were they were stars, but they weren't exactly the rock stars they would turn out to be, especially in the case of Doi and Yoshino, and then obviously Pac, who when he, you know, came back, even, even from when Pac left World 1 International in 2012, and then especially when he came back, was just an entirely different being. But they're their brightest days would come later. It just so happens that World One was this perfect blend of aesthetics and in-ring work and just enough star power to have that credibility. Yeah, that's entirely fair. Um, did you have any other thoughts about the match itself? I thought this was a fun uh, flying start. Diamante and uh, Mochi had fun, but it was kind of a quiet match. The crowd wasn't really into this at all, which surprised me. I like the fact that it gave Mochizuki something to do. You know, it's been close to a year since he has done anything of importance. The last big Dragon Gate match that he had was that four-way number one contenders match in September that yeah. Minoru ended up winning. He has been a Noah guy, really, all things considered, since that match. You know, he hasn't done anything important. So it's nice to see Mochizuki you know, yes, a match on the undercard, but then a big angle afterwards and building towards a future hyped Mochizuki match. That's my only takeaway is that that's a positive to get him back in the fold to some degree. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I was three flat on this. It was, it was a good time. Uh, w- after that, we had a trios match. It was kind of a rookies versus veterans in a way. Uh, we had gold class Kaido Ishida, Kota Minora with Minorita and Naruki Doi versus class of 2021 and class of 2020. La Shreya, Takuma Fujiwara, and Ishinahashi. This was a no contest as Kataro Suzuki and Osawa Rongai, two-thirds of the current Open the Triangle Gate champion team, Los Peros del Mal de Japon, interfered. And uh, did you let me just run down the segment that happened before? Yeah, the yeah. Let, let's, let's all talk about this as one giant being. Yeah. Yeah, let's do this. So it was no contest. Immediately, Ryo Saito came out. Not happy at all. Very flustered. Had a nice suit on, though. Uh, he basically says, like, this is not what we're supposed to be doing here. This is, no, no, we, we don't approve this. We know that, that this is the kind of stuff that you pulled in your other place, but now you're here, and we want to have some gosh darn decorum. Uh, Nosawa and Kataro Suzuki uh, pled their naivete. They both uh, got down on their hands and knees and begged for a match. And then they had a match. It was uh, Katara Suzuki and Nasawa Rongai defeating Minorita and Naruki Doi. It was Suzuki's Blue Destiny on Minorita. And afterwards, they were asking what the next show was. And he's like, oh, and Ryo Saito said, I'll let you know when you're the next Triangle Gate matches. Well, uh, we'll see you then. And no, they found out that the, that the next show was in Tajima and Gifu and that they would see uh, GM Saito there, who was very frazzled and mad about this. I'm worried that I'm enjoying Nozawa too much in Dragon Gate because he has been really entertaining. Obviously, the GHC Junior title match uh, in November, the Dead or Alive match that I like quite a bit. And then here, he was excellent. Uh, again, he fit the tone of Dragon Gate better than Kaisuke Akuda has in a year and a half. And that's a sick reality that we're living in, but it's a reality nonetheless. I think with the stuff that Nasal Rongai is a better wrestler than Keisuke Akuda. I'm not saying that. I He understands I, how to work a crowd. Keisuke Akuda doesn't. I don't think that's fair. Maybe 2022 Akuda, but let's not let's not lump in his entire career. I mean, we're only really talking about 18 months with Akuda. Is okay. 
Oh, 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 I'm making you actually ponder this case. I'm making you <laughs> I'm just, actually think. Here's, here's, okay, let's take connections out of the... Well, I, you know what? No. Kaisuke Kuda's a very connected man as well, and I don't mean that in a seedy underbelly way. I mean, they both know important people. If you're booking the Mike Spears Produce Show, are you booking Nozawa or are you booking Kaisuke Okuda? Oh, Nozawa. No, no doubt about it. <laughs> you knew I was going to choose Nozawa. I disagree, my friend. I am offering Kaisuke Okuda a first-class plane flight, and I am booking him on my show in an effort to make sure that I don't have the budget to book Nozawa. I mean, I, I think that the thing with Nozawa, and this is a lesson both for my Produce Show and for Dragon Gate, if you just book him, it might be okay. Just don't give him power. <laughs> just don't give. Just don't let him bring in El Tejano, okay? Like, hey, he's not gonna have booking power. I'm not letting him come close to the pencil and Spears Pro. The, the thing I, is, though, the thing that you have to accept is that while the the finished product is looks different, Nozawa's ideal version of wrestling and your ideal version of wrestling are not super far off. I know that's yes. the thing. <laughs> there, it's there's a fine line, and it's really important that you don't cross that line. But that Venn diagram is really just mostly a circle. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of that circle are, are people who worked at Abilene in the seventies and eighties, right? <laughs> it's, it's people with great track records in Monterey. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, how did Dory Senior think of you? <laughs> great. All right, come on. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I feel like Nosawa and I would have really fun, long conversations about uh, uh, Miss, Miss Naros de la Muerte and Terry Funk. That's all I really want in life, guys. I really think we need. You know, we. We could certainly have some conversations with people to see if we can get Chris Hero to interview Nozawa because he did the Bandito interview, which, by the way, if you have not seen that, HighSpots.com, their, their little streaming service, not that you would buy a DVD from HighSpots in 2022, but on their streaming service, that Hero shoot with Bandito is awesome. I'm about halfway through it. I just got through with basically the Drangate portion of his career and... His life story is interesting. How he got started in wrestling is very interesting. And then hearing him talk about the Dragon Gate roster is fascinating. If you listen to this podcast, that's the sort of thing that you would like. He's got the Ultimo interview that was filmed but hasn't yet been released. We got to get Hero to sit down with Nozawa. That could be a nine-hour shoot interview. And, and it would be fascinating. Like, I know oh, there's I, a I lot of people. I all nine hours. There's a lot of people that, that are in their feelings because Nosawa booked their their promotion in Nosawa way, which completely justified. Like the, it's your it, it's your personal favorite, and this big brain came in and decided to book all of his friends. Okay, but there's few people as fascinating in modern wrestling than Nosawa wrong guy. Just imagine like the stories he has just about living in Mexico in the late '90s, early 2000s, and that scene then. Well, again, there's there's a reason, and we talked about this a little bit last week. I think on air, if we definitely talked about it off air, but there's a reason that he remains as connected as he is, because during that era, if you were Japanese and you went to Mexico, you Nozawa took care of you and people still feel indebted to him and, and to a, you know, a lesser degree, but in the same way that he feels indebted to Muto for taking care of him. So, yeah, I mean, Nozawa's a fascinating being and I don't want to babyface him because there's still inherent flaws with him as a wrestler and as a personality, oh, yeah. but... Let's call a spade a spade. In Drangate, he has been really entertaining. Yeah, and he was the star of these two segments, really, because the uh, trios match didn't really get anywhere before the no no DQ. It was a uh, gold class post DOA. They're, they're acting like they're going to have an edge. There really was not a whole lot to the trios match. And then the tag match 
with Suzuki and Nosawa versus Minorita and Doi, I thought that was a, I, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a lot of fun seeing Minorita have to deal with Nosawa again. You could do that each show. I'm not going to get tired of it. No, that, that's you know that's a great point. This is a match that if their gimmick is they're going to be on every show, which by the way is hilarious. That you know they're they're Dragon Gate champions and they want to be a part of this nonstop tour that goes on. That is this company. This is something that you can do around the entire loop. You know, Nozawa and Kataro against Ashita and Minorita against Doya Minorita against Minora Minorita. Then you throw Ata in there, you get a six man tag. This is something they can do in Kobe, Osaka, Fukuoka all the small towns and then come back to Tokyo and pay it off somehow. I, I really, you know, it's not like the match was great. The little two on two tag that Peros had with gold class, but I thought it was really effective in getting me more invested in Minorita versus Peros down mall. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Hakodate needs to see how badly Nasawa runs. Like they, <laughs> they got to, I mean, God, that's just, that's a body that is not He's meant good. to do that. <laughs> He might have to do it three days in a row, Case, if he makes it up to Hokkaido. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I say his body's not meant to do that. What he's doing is running, but man, his body is not meant to do that. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a man who is there to run. Have you, what was the last time, let me ask you this, when was the last time you ran full speed? Uh, Last week. What what, what were you doing? (laughs) Exercising. At full a full speed run, yeah, I went for a run. Were you outside doing this? Yeah, God, I, no, there is, no, there no. Is, I was doing a full speed run inside the compound. You could no, no, no. Hey, fuck you, Mike. You could have run on a treadmill, okay? <laughs> oh, I don't believe in treadmills. Don't believe in treadmills. Don't believe in ellipticals. There's only two cardio machines that anyone should ever use. It's the stationary bike and the rowing machine. <sighs> All right, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold. We're going to come back to Dragon Gate, but hold on. <laughs> what? <laughs> what I, is I this don't, take? <laughs> I don't believe in the treadmill or the elliptical machine case. I'm the opposite. Like, I, I love running on a treadmill. I thrive on ellipticals. I hate bicycles so much. My, I, I hope I'm, I never have to ride a bicycle again. But an exercise bike, that is my thing. I, uh, in college, lived in a building that had exercise bikes, and I lost a ton of weight, and then COVID hit, and I haven't been on one since because I just haven't had access to them. Um, Okay, so, okay. So you were on a full-speed sprint outside last week. Yeah, I went for a run. It was nice. It, it uh, we, we didn't have summer hit yet, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for a nice run. I just think as an adult, and I can say that I'm an adult, there's something so embarrassing about running. I just, I don't want anybody to see me do it. Like, not a jog. If I'm jogging, it doesn't look good, but I can do it in front of people. But if I ever have to take off on a sprint, that is such an embarrassing thought to me that somebody is going to watch me run. All right, there, Constanza. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's just... That, it's, that, that's a real George Stanza take for It's me, humiliating. I just can't... Uh, I just... I don't want anybody to see that. Not... I mean, I'm ashamed of my body, but for different reasons. It's not that I, I don't think people are going to like the way that my body looks as it's running. It's just that I'm going to be so hyper-focused on a situation that I'm going to have to run. That is embarrassing, my man. I'm, I mean... Whenever you play pickup, do you not go out and run when you get the ball? When you're no, moving I, back, I, I, I jog. <laughs> I'm, I'm not exactly determined to get back on defense. 
Uh, you, you, you see, I grew up playing uh, attacking midfield in soccer where I was used to running a lot. So, like, I never had the preconceived notion. I'll tell you something embarrassing about me. I cannot ride a freestanding bicycle. Cannot do it. Never been able to ride a bicycle. Stationary bikes? Oh, your old pal will get down on a stationary bike. That's, you know, when, when shit hits the fan and I move to your compound, I think we're going to lead a spin class. Hey, I mean, I, I, I will put on the Tyco and we'll Oof. make sure. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I mean this with all due respect. I try not to shit on people's music because I know that everybody's band is somebody's favorite band. But if you enjoy the musical act Tycho, you can stop listening to this podcast. I'm I'm good. I was tell they're I guess they're like one of Mike's favorite bands. I saw them last week and they were just horrific, but that's besides the point. I I argue that the show promoter did a bad job of scheduling, personally, but that's just me. Is there a market, do you think? Now, it involves wrestling fans exercising, which is an uphill battle. Is there a market for a spin class that plays Japanese wrestling theme songs in the background? I think there is. That I seems mean, like something. That seems yeah. like that seems like a Starcade event. Can we get? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a Starcast thing. L- let me call it yes, the Bojangles champion. It's not a Starcade event. It is a Starcast event. There's a huge difference there. Let me get Conrad Thompson on the phone and see if we can get his mortgage company to sponsor our spin class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and the Bojangles champion can take care of that for us. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we talked about that. That really showed me a lot about who you are as a person. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off 
a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm i a disgusting person case. I know you are. No, I yeah, love you for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I, I'm I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding the <laughs> fact that I don't ride bikes. It's okay. Uh, moving down the show. God, the show is long. We're an hour. <laughs> All right. King of Gate 20, uh, 2022, first round matchup presented by the Lech Barrison, uh, determining Dragon Gate's number one championship. Shun Skywalker defeats Ata. He beats him clean with a cradle cut back and my summer's over case it's no longer the summer of Ata. it's gonna be the summer of mike at this point where do we go from here i mean i i'm interested in your thoughts on the match because i heard somebody speak about this match earlier today and i disagreed with what they said and i'll address that in just a moment but what's going through your head when it comes to Ata's next three months how do how does he go from losing to shun skywalker in the first round of king of gate what what is he going to be doing the last week in july uh defending the triangle gate with paris mall versus m2k oh well you might be onto something there yeah like uh as soon as paris showed up that should have been the sign that ada's cards not being pulled for uh king of gate this year and that's what happened basically like it makes sense like that that maybe they want to give some space be- between Summers of Ada here. But yeah, he's out. Shun Skywalker wins. I really enjoyed this match. Like, this was not a classic King of Gate match. But I thought it was really fascinating that the fact that basically Skywalker took this 90-10. And it was just basically Skywalker dominating and just doing gross stuff for 10 minutes. Yeah, so, and this is not... I- not to call rich out by any means i more than respect his opinion it's call him out <laughs> well it's just, i was listening to rich on the voices of wrestling flagship this week and he talked about how he thought this was the weakest of the king of gate matches and i i i disagree with that uh i really like this match for the reason that you just mentioned the dominance of shun in watching Ato work from underneath and i will i will maintain for as long as i live unless he proves me wrong, which I don't think he's going to, that Ata will always be a guy who is best served working underneath. I don't like when he dominates matches for any sort of extended period of time. I've never found him to be super engaging in that role, whereas Shun, who I thought was this perfect underdog babyface for the first five years of his career, is now showing that he's even a better dominant heel and he was able to show that off while also letting Ata sell. And then Ata's moments where he would hit offense, whether it was that huge drop kick in the corner that sent both guys to the floor. That was insane. That was that... insane. The Imperial Uno that he hit right before the finish was one of the best super kicks I've ever seen in my entire life. That was phenomenal. Ada got to pick his spots, and it's not just because they were gift worthy, so I popped for them. It was that I I thought they worked with who Ata is. This was not the most flashy match I had ever seen. Given the pomp and circumstances, stances and length of their Kobe World match from 2020, that was the better match. But God, they got a lot out of doing a little. They're, they left so much room on the table 
if they decided to go back to this, which is crazy to think. Again, it's crazy to think that Skywalker lost the Dreamgate belt and in six months set himself up not only with a more interesting character, but with so many realistic title matches if he were to get the belt back, which I don't think is happening anytime soon. But, you know, just looking at it from Skywalker's point of view, he's got a Dragon Daya singles match in his back pocket. He's got a Jason Lee match in his back pocket. He's got a Yuki Yoshioka match in his back pocket. He's got another Ata match in his back pocket because realistically, these guys didn't do a thing. This was Shun Skywalker beating him down and beating him down and beating him down, and I was engaged the entire time. But if you need to do Skywalker versus Ata 3, there's plenty that they could do with their current alignment. They barely bit anything off of the apple in this match, and even with that in mind, I thought this was tremendous. I went three and three quarters on it. I was three and a half on it. Uh, so basically the same. Uh, yeah, they left so much in the tank by doing so much great character work that it's like, yeah, you could have, you could run this match back at any time and you, you've done enough to basically keep it special. And it's something that Shun is so young in this heel turn. Like, we have to consider the fact that Ata was he was the top heel for virtually four years. And now Shun and SBK and Hyo and Kai are kind of figuring out who are the top heels. And you could do the same match next year and can't get the exact same things because by that time, Shun Skywalker, we've seen how quickly he's figured it out from this heel turn. He's going to have enough runway that he's not going to be a face in 2023 or 2024 before you probably give him the belt before he turns back face so you do the face run, I would say. So yeah, they can replay this match as many times as they want. Like this could be the gener this could be a generational rivalry if they chose choose, but the fact that they had ten minutes where other than like the big spots that the crowd really got into, they just did character work and it was great. Yeah, really, really liked it. It it shows and I, I'll continue to rave about him until he gives me a reason not to, but just the growth of Shun as an entity. I don't think even a year ago, I don't think he could have a match this good that was largely based off of his presence alone. I mean, he would go out there and he would kill himself and he would take these wild bumps and do these these, you know, terrifying maneuvers. And that would get him to a very good to great match. But again, this they, they didn't do anything. This was Shun kind of stalking him around for 10 minutes with a few really powerful looking moves sprinkled in between it, it. It's just the evolution of him that I find to be so impressive. I, I thought he was one of the three best wrestlers in the world last year. And I think he's even better this year. And, and I just think he's going to grow into this man. Like I do. I think he's going to be the all time greatest character worker in Dragon Dragonson history. No, but there is a lane for him. And it's a lane that's going to be real fascinating. And now he gets the winner of Strong Machine J or Problem Dragon. So you could get, I mean, him versus Strong Machine J, that's an interesting match there on a lot of different levels to see who makes the quarterfinals. But I mean, Shun now becomes, I think, one of the favorites in the tournament at this point. Let's talk about that, because I, th I think that's a really interesting matchup. We don't have the dates of these second round matches yet. We do know and this was confirmed by the Dragon Gate English Twitter today, that all of the King of Gate matches that do not air on the network will air on YouTube, which is phenomenal. This is the first time ever that we're getting every King of Gate match, fingers crossed, in full. Yeah, all 31. So we don't know 
where or when as of this recording that Shun versus Strong Machine is taking place, but what are, what are the odds that Strong Machine J wins this match? Y- you know, I'm looking at the field right now, and you could have Strong Machine J winning that match, and because you still have the other half of that quadrant, you still have KZ in there. So you, you still got some outs in that. So, I mean, you could have Strong Machine J go two and one in this tournament, and I think it would work just fine for him and wherever his character is going now that he is reentering the unit battlefield. Given the way that this opening round went, and we're now looking at a point where we're, we're assuming Strong Machine J is going to beat Estrella. I would be absolutely stunned. I would have been stunned anyways if Estrella would have gone over, but especially after that Strong Machine promo at Cork and where he said, you know, hold off high end. I'm going to wrestle on King of Gate first. Strong Machine is going to win that match. You've got, obviously, the result of this, Skywalker versus Ata and Skywalker. And then, let me think about where I'm going with this here. So the winner of that is going to wrestle some combination of Yoshida, Shimizu, KZ, or Minora. Given yeah. the way this Cork and Hall show went, I think Strong Machine J is going to beat Shun Skywalker. And I think that's the right story to tell. Yeah, I mean, Shun's fine. Like, Shun, Shun can take a loss like this, whereas Strong Machine J could actually really use a win and a good run here. Yeah, all he's, got, all he's got to do is roll Shun up. Just have, you know, one of Shun's heel tricks backfire on him, and right. it's a, a roll-up victory. It possibly, just given their loose affiliation, I know he's obviously locked up with Paros, but we've seen some sort of bond between H and Strong Machine. Possibly H cost Shun the match. That might get a little bit messy. I'm not recommending they do that, but it's not impossible. But I think wherever we get this, especially if you see Shun versus Strong Machine J in a big spot, in Osaka towards the end of the month, that is a sign that something funny is going to happen to that match. Now, I, again, I don't know. We don't have dates on anything after the first round, so I don't know when all that is going to take place. But boy, you you have talked me into Shun versus Strong with Strong Machine J going over. I just think that like Shun, he's going to have so much runway on this heel run that he doesn't need to be super dominant at this point and come on for as like the last holder strong machine j stock you must be elated the the fact that i'm bringing up the fact that he should be in the quarterfinals i'm more into strong machine j right now than i have been in his entire career even with the strong machine stuff because i i thought that wore out its welcome quick that act never really evolved he's looked really good lately and the other thing that i think is important to note and and you've talked to people in and around this promotion. Strong Machine J seems to be beloved, at least from yeah. the intel I have. People are rooting for this guy, and he's finally putting in the work. He's finally gotten healthy, and my guess is he has allies in the back. And I, I think he is going to start cashing in on that, and I'm excited. Again, I, I have said before, this is a guy that I want to root for. I think his story's great, not only with his father, but when there was some newspaper was doing profiles on Drangate wrestlers like a year ago, and Strong Machines was all about his mom getting sick and how he he you know he's dedicating you know matches to his mom, and it was moving. And this was at a time where I was being really harsh to him on the podcast, and I was just like, God, I, I 
I want this guy to figure it out for so many reasons for the growth of Dragon Gate. It would be great if Strong Machine J could become a recognizable star and not just a recognizable face on the poster. This would be really nice if they could make something happen with him. And not that I think he's going to be challenging for the Dream Gate anytime soon. I don't think he's in Kai's reign, but just to have some momentum for the first time in two and a half, almost three years. Good for Strong Machine J. Yeah, no, it, it's really, really exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how this all plays off with him with that. Um, as we move on down towards the back half of the card, uh, we had Natural Vibes versus Veteran Army. KZ, UT, the debut of Jason Lee as a Natural Vibe member in Tokyo, and Jackie Funky Kame versus Dragon Daya, the Open the Brave Gate champion, along with Susumu Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and Kiki Horiguchi, who they all came to- together on Wednesday case to celebrate an important day of an important man's history. You know, it's a day that I celebrate greatly. I mean, case you, you saw me today, you know, I had to make sure to reach out to the big man make sure to know that uh, we appreciate him. It was Don Fuji's 25th anniversary in this match where KZ won by elbow smashing the hell out of Ginky Horikuchi. Yeah. So I I want your thoughts on that because my reviewer at voices of wrestling.com I love this match. I'll tell you right now, I went four stars on this match, and we could talk about that in a minute. But I dedicated most of my review to talking about Don Fuji because 25 years is 25 years, and he's someone who, fairly or unfairly, I think will always fall into the underrated category. And I, and I, I legitimately think Don Fuji's underrated. I think if his output, just given the way English-speaking fans are in this bubble, if Fuji had his output in Noah or New Japan or God forbid Big Japan, we would look at his career in an entirely different way. He's beloved by our bubble of Drangate fans, but he would be revered if he was doing that style of wrestling in a promotion where the fans viewed the product a little differently. And I I think he's an amazing wrestler. I think there's so many things that wrestlers coming up now on the indies in America could learn from him. I think there's major league wrestlers in America that could learn from Don Fuji. But 25 years of Don Fuji, it's certainly hard to encapsulate a career in a few sentences. But what, what are your thoughts on Fuji as he celebrates his 25th anniversary? Well, he's the greatest man who ever lived, Case. <laughs> oh, no argument from me. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot, uh, I'm just going to keep it simple. He, for me, he is the heart of Dragon Gate. You know, he resembles the comedy side. He resembles the hot fighting. He resembles the personal relationship that the uh, native fans have with the roster members. And in a lot of ways, he he is the day one. I mean, even more so than like Mochizuki or uh, Saito was. And uh, he's just something that, yeah, like as you were saying, if he was in a different company, you would like look at him and you'd throw on a comp that'd be like, oh yeah, he reminds me of a Kojima. You know, like, like, that's the thing is like, he, he's essentially Dragon Gate's Satoshi Kojima, except a lot more funny and actually funny. Not people making riffs about a guy like tweeting about bread. Like Don Fuji is a naturally hilarious person. And I'm glad that they, they took a lot of time for Don Fuji here on this show. Something that I don't think any of us would have guessed going into it. And it was very charming and it was heartwarming. The match was great. I went three and three quarters on it. This was the best version of a rec league match one could have. Okay, that's that's great to hear that I'm not totally off base and loving this match because when I sent in this review, I had this at four and I was like, I you know, I I I almost I'm almost not committed to this. Like I 
I fear that maybe I watched another match and I was so caught up in the pageantry of Don Fuji and him throwing a chair at Dragon Daya that I got carried away. But it's it's nice to hear that you are roughly on the same page as me because, you know, this was one of those matches that just if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. That's fine. That's not a knock on anybody's personal taste. But this match was so Dragon Gate in so many ways when you have the heart and soul whether it be Don Fuji or Genki Horiguchi, or even to some degree a Dragon Dio or a KZ and what they represent to Dragon Gate in some people's eyes, this was a match that felt really, really Dragon Gate. And that is such a compliment coming from me and such an insult coming out of the mouths of so many other people. Yeah, because like you watch this match and it, it has like Genki's points of levity, Don Fuji just doing wild things. And then you had Natural Vibes who, I mean... Uh, just to further put the, uh, the underline this point here, Jason and Natural Vibes fits like a glove. It's almost like he's been a member all since 2019 and just never realized it. And we, we just got this really fun match. I mean, Daya and Jack, those two guys, like, I'm going to be disappointed if we don't get Daya versus Jack for the Brave Gate before the time that Daya drops the belt because those guys got something going on. Yeah, there, it's th- that's uh, something that I've really enjoyed about this Daya reign is that whether it's, you know, Fujiwara, SB Kento, or the, or the bodies that he's picking up along the way in these tag matches, it seems like there's a lot left of the tank in that title run. And I hope they run with it, because the longer it goes, I don't think it's going to lose steam. I think it's going to feel more and more special. Yeah, and he's kind of, in a way, the, the, the stronger they push him now, the more he kind of feels like the mascot uh, mascot incumbent, I would say from dragon kid because like that's like a common question we get like why is dragon kid never won the dream gate why is he never like the future guy he's kind of the mascot and i feel like that dragon die is going to be kind of as the heir to the dragon legacy he has that role so pushing him hard as long as you can just make sure don fuji doesn't get his hands on that skateboard Yo, that, was, that was the best i i wanted fuji to put that board down and ride it off into the sunset so badly uh, Jay, uh, just just in case, if he does, make sure you you shout out, do a kickflip again for Don Fuji. He might try, he might break his knee, but 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 we need you to do that. I don't know what sort of stroke Jay has with the production crew, but if we can get a skate tutorial video, a four one one style with Jay teaching Don Fuji the basics of skateboarding, I will never say another bad thing about the Dragon Gate Network. Do Do you think Don Fuji can at least rock back and forth? No, I don't know. I don't think he can do anything. I think as soon as he stands on the skateboard, he's going to fall. But I want to and, and see then that so And then sell the name. He's going to... Jay's going to try to get Don Fuji to skateboard. Fuji's going to fall down immediately, and he's going to make the future class of 2022 pick him up and carry him to the back. I mean, the, the, this is the promotion we need. This is what happens when we get the pencil. I, I, uh, would, I would love to watch skateboarding with Don Fuji, because I think... This is I'll make this brief, but watching skateboarding with people that don't know anything about skateboarding is really interesting. There were a few nights with a with a girl I dated for a few years where, you know, we're, you know, sitting in my dorm or sitting at home and and there's nothing really to do. And I throw on, you know, something on the Thrasher YouTube channel and she just she doesn't understand what she's looking at. And for her, she was remarkably unimpressed by it. And I'd go like, no, no, that's like. He frontside flipped El Toro. That's really cool. And she's like, eh, it doesn't do anything for me. I think Don Fuji would pop for the most basic things. He, It would be like those Evolve shows in China where they didn't really understand the intricacies of pro wrestling, but they understood basic combat and would pop for all that sort of stuff. I think a kickflip would blow Don Fuji's mind. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a man who's entertained by sumo wrestling at a rate that I have friends who are really into sumo. No one loves sumo wrestling. Don Fuji does. Imagine him just like his mind game blown by the first time someone landing on a rail. Yeah, no, it would be it would it would be really nice to see. I would like that uh, a, a Dragon Gate reacts video produced by the Fine Bros to Don Fuji reacting to skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that that that'd be tremendous. I I'm here for it. Uh, semifinal match. Uh, we have the uh, Lek Barusan presents 2022 King of Gate deciding the number one championship in Dragon Gate. Shuji Kondo versus Kai. Case, I made a bold proclamation a couple weeks ago, and let me tell you, might not be the summer of Eita anymore, but boy, is Shuji Kondo going to make the Final Four as he defeats Kai in 39 seconds with four King Kong Lariats, a masterpiece of a squash here, and the absolute boy did it. The unit's back, Case. This was delightful. This was absolutely delightful, and... This was, you know, one of those deals. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up. I'm trying to pull up something real quick just to uh, to figure out what exactly I predicted, because I, I believe I predicted Kai to win this match in my official King of Gate bracket, which was not my initial instinct. When this match was announced, I assumed Kondo was going to win. And then Kai looked so good at Dead or Alive that I thought, well, God, if he beats Susumu, he's going to beat Kondo. And I got off of this prediction and I bummed out because I really would have liked to have been able to double down and go, I got Yoshioka over Yamato and I got Kondo over Kai. And you guys can all suck it. But I, I ended up predicting that Kai would win. So what's the point? Yeah, well, I mean, the, my problem is that I went three for four, but the problem was that my one that I missed was my King of Gate champion case. So. You know, we, we, <laughs> yeah, we, I can we, see how that would be tough. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Getting Shushi Kondo right. I mean, that's good. But I mean, I'm not getting points after the uh, the, the the semifinals. So who cares? Oh, yeah, well, th this was this was such a delightful squash. I mean, just it, I, I, I it's not hard to predict Kondo winning, but it's very hard to to vision uh, envision Kondo winning in 39 seconds like you did. This was so much fun. And I think this works really well with Kai's psychology as champion, that he is this dominant champion that always escapes by the skin of his teeth. He always is somehow able to pull it out. And Kondo didn't give him any quarter. Kondo knows Kai. Kondo has wrestled Kai for a better part of 20 years. Kondo knew immediately, I'm just going to run through this fucker like a truck. And that's what he did and walked out in 39 seconds. Didn't even break a sweat. You know, I think he had a new jacket on for the occasion, too. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those deals where Kai, it, it's the funny optics, and I don't know if this is one of those exclusive to Drangate things, like, I don't know if this sort of deal would work in Noah or New Japan, but you have your top champion get flattened like a truck in under a minute, but I don't think this hurts Kai at all, I don't think anything less of him as a champion, I just think Kondo looked like a beast, they handled this perfectly. Right, yeah, and it's one of those things that the longer Kai's in the tournament, you're eventually going to have the problem of, oh, unless he's winning the thing, we have to figure out who's beating him and who's winning the tournament because then we have to figure out title shots. This way, Kondo takes care of it first night. Maybe Kondo gets a title shot. And he won in a way, he won so early in the tournament where I, I don't think he has to. It would be, you know, I, look, I'm not going to complain if we get Kai versus Kondo for the belt, but I also don't see that happening. Right. Th this took off whatever weight of beating Kai was present this took all of that off, which was nice. But again, to kind of go back to something I referenced last week, 
that, uh, you know, Alan Forel on Twitter stole this talking point. He tweeted it before I could record this show. So I want to be sure that I gave him credit. The way Kai has been positioned as champion now, when he eventually loses that Dreamgate match, it is going to come across like such a massive deal. And the beautiful thing about this match was that they didn't waste that pop. This wasn't a 14-minute back-and-forth epic style of match. This was so quick that, yes, Kai lost, but Kai didn't lose in the way that we're all dying to see. This was fun. This was quick. This was painless. This is not the final chapter for him. This is not the loss that people have been waiting for. And and for that, job well done. Yeah, no, absolutely so. And that moves us to our main event, the uh, final first-round match of the night for King of Gate 2022, presented by Lech Barrison to decide the number one championship in Dragon Gate. Eventually, I'll get tired of saying that case, eventually, but I just like the number one championship bit at it. I enjoy it. I, I think it's a good bet. Yeah, it's a good bit. We're going to keep it up. Uh, Yuki Oshioka defeated Yamato after two frog splash, one from the second rope, one from the top, to beat the ace clean in the longest match of the night. And the best match of the night by far, I think. I, I was four and a quarter on it. You know me, Mike. I have said many nasty things about Yamato on and off air. I, for as brilliant as he can be, and I'll just take the words from my own review, you know, for as brilliant as he can be, he can he can be equally boring. And he's reached a stage in his career where he doesn't always have to go out there and kill himself. Yamato as an entity, Yamato as the ace, Yamato as the top guy, is not going to live or die by one singular match. So there are big Yamato matches where I don't feel like he puts everything he has into those matches. And I, I'm left disappointed because I think this is a guy who, if he wanted to, given his background, given his charisma, given the way that he can wrestle at his peak, I think he'd be one of the most consistently entertaining and interesting wrestlers in the world. What we've seen over the last five years, really since that title run that began in 2016, is he's fallen into a pattern of comfort. We kind of know who and what Yamato is at this point. It's why, and I referenced this earlier, it's why I like that Akuda King of Gate match so much last year because that was, you know, Yamato grappling and Yamato taking this guy to the mat in a way that we really don't see anymore. And what we saw in this match, while it was drastically different in presentation from the Akuda match, the effort and the intrigue was there. And this was a brilliant pro wrestling match. This was so, so good. Yeah, and the, the thing that got me about Yamato in this match was he did one thing, Case, that was straight out of Rewind and Rewatch. He did the, oh, the other guy's going for a dive. I'm diving underneath the ring, and I'm going to sneak up behind him and, and wreck him. And when he did that, I was in. I was like, all right, this is one of my favorite Battleship Yamato things for him to do. And... Then we just had like just like a star making performance for Yuki Yoshioka. It was big match Yuki. It was something that case I've been saying for years. Like watch out for Yuki Yoshioka. He's going to end up being a problem. And there was a reason why I thought he was going to be his generation's version of Susumu Mochizuki. And that's what we got here. And Yamato had his great moments as well. There was that beautiful top 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 rope missile dropkick case. It was probably the most beautiful top rope dropkick of that style I've ever seen. Like the hang time he got, and then Jay and Ho were talking about like, yeah, one foot got his jaw and the other got his throat. That's as picture perfect as one gets. And I thought that was astounding. And then we've gotten the final stretch where Yamato, as much angst as we have with him, 
when he decides to, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he was selling his ass off for Yoshioka, and Yoshioka felt every bit of a star at the level of Yamato for that night, and by getting the win with Yuki Yoshioka, he wins, he advances on. I think that they accomplished what they set out to do, and Yamato's going to be fine. I mean, high-end might not be, but Yamato will be. The spot that will live in my mind, quite frankly, for forever, I mean, five years when we're doing this podcast, and we're trying to figure out whether Yamato versus Yuki Yoshioka happened at the Mayor June Corkin in 2022, in the same way that we were trying to figure out if Tozawa versus Eita was in May or June of 2016. The spot that will live with me forever is the superplex to Yoshioka in which he popped up. And Yoshioka was uh, amazing in the way that he sold it and then shrugged it off. The timing of that was just right to where he registered impact and that he realized that that impact did not face him. And I, I thought that was so beautifully done. But the camera pans back to Yamato and he has this look of shock on his face. And everyone, all 900 people in, in Corkin Hall, knew exactly what was going through Yamato's mind at that moment. And that facial expression was so recognizable and so big and so charismatic. It didn't matter if they were in Corken Hall or Kobe World Memorial Hall. That facial reaction had would have had the same effect. It was so good and it was so small. And I almost hate to praise something like that because I, I fear that those little moments can get twisted into some weird like Bruce Pritchard, Jim Cornette, you got to work the hard cam. These new kids don't know how to work that mindset and philosophy in wrestling. And I don't want to be associated with that thought process by any means, but Yamato's facial expression changed my thoughts on this match. From that moment on, I was a hundred percent invested in it. And it's, you know, it's why, it's why I find Yamato to be so frustrating because he can be this good all the time. And I think he chooses not to, but man, he had his A game on here. This was a vintage Yamato performance in terms of star ratings, not one of the greatest matches that he's ever had. But, you know, Yamato's up there in age. And when we when we see the streamers, you know, come into the ring one final time for him when he retires, which, you know, will probably be uh, is similar to Yoshino's. I think this is a match that I'm going to think of. This is not on my first disc of the best Yamato matches of all time, but a week removed or, you know, rather a few days removed from this match. Uh, this is making my list of personal favorite Yamato matches of all time. Yeah, this has had like a little bit of that new with the old that we got to see that is kind of the frustrating thing about Yamato because he has like such this cool era from basically as soon as he got out of the young boy phase up until Junction Three, where he got where he got his head shaved, and we all saw his shame. But uh, it, it then he like moved into the Almighty era, which worked so well as a heel, but sometimes doesn't work as a babyface. So he's willing to take the aspects of of his youth and using it in a match to get over Yuki Oshioka because he's made in my mind. Yuki Oshioka is a made guy, and does it rank in his top ten matches of all time? No, no, not even close. But is it one of those matches that, that I'm going to hold dear as well? I think so. I, I, I It's going to be hard for this tournament to have like a moment like this one, unless they're going to go completely astounding and Dragon Daya becomes King of Gate and becomes a both brave and dream champion. Like That's like the only things that could really change this tournament in my mind. Like This, this match was that powerful. 
I really, really like this. Now I'm, I'm pulling up the bracket here just to kind of see what the the future holds for these guys. So Yoshioka will wrestle the winner of UT versus Kagatora, which will have happened by the time you listen to this. And then the winner of that match is going to get some combination of Fujiwara, Ishinihashi, Dragon Kid, or Diamante. So your hope coming out of this is that you get Yoshioka versus Diamante. And I legitimately think right now that's a 50-50 match. And yeah. that has the, that has the potential to be really great. I mean, you know, Yoshioka versus either Kagatora or Yuti, I think that will deliver. But that Yoshioka versus Diamante match, you know, given the story of Dia Inferno and the mask versus mask tag and the way that all of this has unfolded, that's a huge match. And that's one of those things that I think we have to wrap our heads around is even you and I, who cover this promotion in English closer than anyone, it is strange to think that Yoshioka versus Diamante is like not only a match that should be really good, but that's a really big match given the story that has played out over the last six or seven months at this point. And past that is, year, to be yeah, honest. I, that's, uh, that, exactly, past year. That is, a, that is a really interesting late-stage King of Gate match. And like I said right now, that I to me, that's genuinely 50-50 because I while I think Diamante has 0% chance of winning King of Gate... The idea of him making it to the finals of King of Gate seems not impossible, if that makes sense. No, he has a lot better chance of that than I think people realize, because that top right quadrant what is the weakest quadrant, and that's why it's like, oh yeah, it's 50-50. It's either going to be Diamante or Yuki Yoshioka winning the block at this point. Like It's set up so that Diamante could have the star-making performance this tournament, and, you know, go to the finals. And I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I think that's actually... No, I would, you... I would encourage them to do that. I think Diamante right. should be in bigger matches. Right. Like, at this point, like, other than, like, you really want to get hard behind Yoshioka, the only other thing to do in that, that quadrant is to book Diamante strong and see how far it goes. You know, that that's a, that's a good point. You know, we have raved about Diamante probably more than anyone over the last year. But if you look at his path in this tournament, that Dragon Kid match is going to be a huge match. My guess is they're going to work that. Now, it's interesting because the size difference, you know, Diamante is so much bigger, uh, especially in 2014, than Flamita was. But I always reference that Dragon Kid versus Flamita match at World 2014, where I think people expected it to be a, a short, sprinty, high spot match like the Susumu match. But instead, they really took their time. Flamita got a kick out of all of Dragon Kid's big moves. And I, I felt like if the Susumu match put Flamita on the map, the Dragon Kid match established Flamita as being worthy of hanging in Dragon Gate for you know the next four or five years like he did. That Diamante versus Dragon Kid match, I am really curious to see what sort of respect Dragon Kid shows Diamante. What is he going to give him that that crown in Sapporo is going to take away and remember for the next time that Drangate comes to their town. I think that match is really interesting. Assuming Diamante wins that, and assuming Fujiwara beats Ishin, which I would be shocked if that's not the result, you're now looking at Diamante versus Fujiwara again. That is a winning combination. That match is going to be great. And then the winner of that match goes on to Yoshioka. And let's say, you know, Diamante wins versus Yoshioka. You're looking at a position where he's, you know, wrestling Shun or he's wrestling Strong Machine J or he's wrestling Casey or he's wrestling Coach Minora. He has a path to be the MVP of this tournament. And it is 
it is a very noticeable path. He is just going to have to show up and deliver in the same way that he has been for the last year. And if he does that, he could be the standout in this tournament. And I guess the question to follow up is, is could he become the second foreigner to win King of Gate this year? I mean, the bracket's there. I think him. I think he has a 0% shot of winning King of Gate, but I think there is a a real potential that he makes the finals. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I think he probably has like 2% chance. I mean, uh, give me a second after when we get to the round of 16, I think his chances really jump up if he gets past Dragon Kid. But I, I, I can't discount the idea. Like it does. I, I'm not going to proclaim this the summer of Diamante. I'm sure as hell not because I don't think he's headlining Kobe World. But I think that... But also you know, with, with Ata out and w- the, the schedule is wonky in June and July, it would make sense for the King of Gate winner to headline world, but that's not it. Do we know if that's a guarantee or not? No, and it's never been a guarantee. Yeah. It doesn't so. have to be. Now, of course, what I would support is winner of King of Gate goes on to challenge Kai and Okinawa during the Okinawa tour, which is right after King of Gate for the Dream hey. Gate belts. <laughs> I mean, do you know who you know be the happiest person other than the challenger to get him in Okinawa? Who's that? Our good friend Gurukin Mask, because more people will be celebrating Okinawa. God, he's got to be politicking for that so hard. He's like, yeah, but, you know, Co- Kobe sells itself. Like, you guys actually, what do you think about it? You don't need a big match in Kobe. Okinawa could use a Dreamgate match. Like, real growing, <laughs> real growing uh, industry there in Okinawa. Yeah, you guys, you know, Dra- Dragon Gate's the Dragon Gate's the draw. It's the brand that draws. You guys, you, you actually don't need a title match in Kobe world now that i think about no, it I, you guys are no. actually kind of burning one there o- okinawa you put that match in okinawa there's some buzz there people people start talking yeah i mean at that point i mean uh, you, you gotta be careful though because because gorkin mask is a wily customer you know you put on the match there you're gonna want to make sure you have mr nakagawa's referee you know there might be something <laughs> i mean i truly uh respect and honor him but do, <laughs> do you think that if Gorkin Mask had the opportunity somehow to abscond with the Open the Dreamgate Championship after having a match uh, that he co-promotes, do, 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 can you say he's not going to do that? Because I can't. I can't say that for Gorkin Mask. If I was wielding power backstage in Drangate right now, and we were all finalizing our Kobe world plans and what we think is best, I'm not saying I'm married to it, but it, there's going to be a booking meeting where I'm going to go, are we sure it's not Gurkin versus Diamante in the main event of Kobe World? Like, are we sure? I'm not, <laughs> guys, I'm not saying it is. I'm just, I, let's not gloss over that. Let's really char, car, uh, uh, carve out the next half hour and consider, is Gurkin Mask versus Diamante headlining Kobe World? Let's really think about that. Uh, I, I'm just imagining the looks on our faces when we say this. So we'll be confident in saying this, and then the rest of the booking committee turns and looks at us like we are completely from a different planet. <laughs> but it'd be great. It, it, it'll be a fantastic match. It'd be the best match ever happened in the Kobe World Kenning Hall. Look, I'm just saying, if you're listening to this and you think I'm crazy for saying Diamante could make the King of Gate Finals, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I was right on the money about Yoshioka versus uh, Yamato and Yoshioka winning. And I am just saying, well, I don't think he's going to win the tournament. I, I really think it's going to be either KZ or Minora. The winner of that match will win the entire tournament. Let's not rule out Diamante making the finals. That's not crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just, just file that back of your your brain when we get to the end of the month, when we see who all gets out of the round of 32. Come back to what Case put out there. And you're going to realize that Case isn't crazy. He's right. 
So thank there. you, thank you for saying that, Mike. I needed to hear that out of context. I needed to hear that. Hey, I mean, we're here to build each other up, not tear them down. So, <laughs> the core ethos opened the voice gate. Uh, that does it for Corkin. Uh, did you have any other thoughts before we got out of here? No, man. Go go watch Yamada versus Yoshioka if you haven't already. I really thought that was a special match. I'm so happy that delivered on my expectations because they were really high going in. I, I I wanted the match that they had to be the match that they had, and that, that was pretty satisfying as a viewer to watch that unfold. So go watch that if you haven't seen it. And go watch Don Fuji's 25th anniversary. What are you doing if you're not watching Don Fuji's 25th anniversary? Just watch the Corkins. Two and a half hours. It was a short Corkin. It was really short. Yeah, because, you know, this year the Corkins have been really angle heavy. And other than the Strong Machine J thing and the M2K angle, there was not not really, I guess, in the Paris thing. But the Paris thing was super entertaining. This show wasn't bogged down with angles and with promo segments, this was a really easy wrestling heavy uh, Corkin show. So go watch it. it was, I, I had a blast. I, I said last week, May King of Gate Corkin Hall, traditionally one of the best shows that Gate does every year. And this show was no different. This was a blast from start to finish. Absolutely. And it'll be up on the network until the 18th. So you'll have time even to next week to watch it. As we mentioned before, the schedule for King of Gate is we have two matches that will be happening in Gifu. It's, you know, whenever this gets up, you'll either be hearing it for it. But by the time you listen to this episode, the King of Gate matches should be up on YouTube for that. And then on Sunday, they return to the friendly confines there in Kobe Sambo Hall for four of it. So we're going to have over half of the first round finished up by Sunday. And we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, so those matches uh, in Kobe, because I think those are the the big ones to talk about real quick. Ishinihashi versus Takuma Fujiwara. Jackie Funky Kame versus Yosuke Santa Maria. La Estrella versus Strong Machine J. And Dragon Daya versus Hyo. Those are four matches that I'm looking forward to. Four matches that I, all, I, I think they could all be really sneakily great. So I look forward to that Kobe show. Yeah, there's something about each of those matches that I think can really go into the wrestler's strengths there. I think that setting up the tournament, they, they, they found intriguing people to have these matchups with. I mean, we're getting Future Class. We're getting Jack versus Maria. We're, we're getting uh, Estrella versus uh, Diamante in my Estrella judgment match. It, it's going to be a fun show, and we'll be back next week to talk all about it. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. All right, you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. I'm at Fujihei of Two Eyes, like the 25th anniversary of Don Fuji's wrestling career. And you can follow Case underscore in your case. That's going to do it for Open the Voicegate. We'll be back with you next week talking King of Gate. Take care.